Heads up, friends. The unofficial Shopify podcast is made by indie entrepreneurs for indie entrepreneurs and may contain material not suitable for all audiences, like swearing or economics. Listener discretion is advised. All these Shopify stores look the same, and so does mine. Look, I've heard that one before. A lot of merchants struggle with restrictive themes that stifle your creativity and your vision and limit that unique brand experience that everybody wants to offer their customers. You want to stand out. Standing out is key. You don't want to lose potential customers because your store looks and feels just like everything else out there. That's a nightmare for any marketer. Enter Flex from Out of the Sandbox. That's the Shopify theme that breaks the mold. It's designed specifically for creative control. That gives you differentiation. With a proven track record of over a decade of experience in e-com design, Out of the Sandbox has so many successful Shopify themes under their belt. They're trusted by tens of thousands of Shopify entrepreneurs. And their Flex theme is compatible with Online Store 2.0. It's compatible with their Theme Updater Plus app and Vault Backups. It's regularly updated with premium features. That saves you money and time. And with Flex, you get multiple layout options. You can easily add custom CSS to it. You get 13 unique style variants. It is built for rapid deployment in a truly unique way. As the marketplace gets more competitive, can you afford to wait? It's time to stand out with Flex, so why not try Flex? They've got a 14-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you don't love it, you'll get your money back. Stand out for the crowd with Flex. Head to outofthesandbox.com to learn more, see the demo, and license your own copy today. That's outofthesandbox.com. So how many Frankenstein movies have you watched this month? Because I've watched seven. I only watched Bride of Frankenstein. <laughs> Which is the best one by yeah, far. Yeah, I don't need any others. No, I need the full Frankenstein canon in order to kick Halloween off right. I want to hear your Frankenstein impression. No. Smoke! No, I'll, no I'll go, it's alive! Because that is Frankenstein. I believe you're talking about Frankenstein's creation or monster. The Frankenstein's saying, monster. When you're saying smoke... Good friend. friend. It blew my mind when I saw, you know, that the hundred year old Frankenstein movie and discovered the like cartoon stereotype of the stiff legged monster being like, fire bad. Wasn't that wasn't an exaggeration. That was just straight up how Frankenstein's monster was portrayed by Boris Karloff. Well, yeah, I mean, all of our concept of the monsters and how they act is from those movies from the 30s. It was those movies were in the 30s. They were big hits. They were played endlessly TV on TV in the 1950s, and boomers watched them on television, and they broke boomers' brains, and that's now just what all those things look like. Like Wolfman, the Invisible Man, obviously, a guy in bandages. A big guy in bandages, yes. Dracula has, is like, bleh, like, you know, has that <laughs> accent. Like, oh, yeah, that's how Dracula acts. Frankenstein's got a flat head, duh. Mary Shelley, she was like, and he had a flat head. Yeah, that's exactly why. <laughs> yeah, why does he have a flat head? Well, because he's, he's pieced together from well, other corpses. Well, because they had to put the brain that the whole. You've never seen one, have you seen one? I you, have, but like, what do I need that for? I've got Bride. Bride is the Bride is so good. Uh, yeah, because he's got to put the brain in, and so obviously they cut off the top of the skull, put the brain in, and then, and then they were what? Like, put a dinner plate on top. To, yeah, they just had to put something on top to. Get the brain in, right? It's like, all right, be gentle with this. Well, you know, it's like you, you've taken car, you've taken things apart. You mm-hmm. love doing handy stuff around town. You know, you take something apart, and then when you put it back together, it doesn't fit as well as it did before you took it apart. Or you're like, hey, I got it back together, except there's extra parts. Yeah, exactly. And Are that's, these bonus spares? Yeah, that's what happened. Frankenstein had some bonus parts. Doctor Frankenstein had some bonus parts left over, and he ended up having to give the monster a flathead. <laughs> I want to know what it is that's in there that <laughs> resulted. In the flat hat. Anyway, and I'm going with dinner plate. I watched all the Frankensteins. I had no idea. The OG Frankensteins from the 30s made by Universal. Not like the Hammer Frankensteins or, or later ones. Uh, and I was shocked at the... They're, they're a serial. Like, they're, they're like a franchise. Like, how we think of the horrors of the current franchise hellscape in movies. They did it. Like, every movie followed another. Like, where Frankenstein was at the end of the last one, he is at the beginning of the next one. 
characters are in multiple different characters are in multiple ones like there it is a yeah, series one co all the the universal monsters in the 20s are in one coherent universe yeah it's the 30s and 40s but okay Close, it, well, that, but when you go that far back <laughs> eh, you know get plus or minus 10 years it's fine but yeah it's all one coherent universe like they did it they made the mcu the monster cinematic universe <laughs> and it was a big hit and then they tried to do it again in tw in like 2016, and it was a huge disaster. <laughs> it's well, just awesome that they pulled it off 100 years ago and then couldn't do it ever again. And then we we reinvented it with Marvel and claimed that this was like some some big original concept. Nope. Nope. Yeah, Universal no. doing it. Universal Monsters ago. did it. Uh, so I assume for Christmas, for you know when those Black Friday deals come around, you're just getting nonstop Blu-rays. Uh, I have been disc pilled, yes, as we've discussed, and. I think I'm getting it's you know it's weird to me it's it was a dark day I think Best Buy announced they're no longer selling physical media they did no more physical media in, in store. Q1 next year but they said it, it might they might still they they might still sell physical games but they're it not would make gonna, sense for games to still be around for a little while but it, it, I know, almost sent you that article but I was like there's no way he doesn't know no I know it, it it's odd to me because is part of disc culture. Uh, disc culture. <laughs> wow, you're okay. <laughs> you know, if you're if you're like a real spinhead, that's what we call ourselves. Uh, this is not like vinyl. <laughs> no. For many movies, especially genre movies, and I looked on it today, like, oh, all right, what's on sale today? And there's a cool, great website, Blu-ray.com. For some reason, is just a website that tracks Blu-ray prices across multiple stores. And you can like search. It's got great search options. It's the best. It's and it's one giant affiliate scheme. It's just a giant affiliate scheme. Yeah, it's the awesome. Um, but they'll be like, they live. Okay, they lives on sale. I think they just did a new 4K release of the John Carpenter film, They Live, starring Roddy Roddy Piper. <laughs> so there's the normal one, but then Best Buy has the special steel book with the cooler cover and like the extras inside. Oh, they got the limited edition. Yeah. That is consistent through the years. You go through like, oh, I want this. When was this released on 4K? Oh, it was released on 4K in 2016. There'll always be the standard release and the Best Buy exclusive steelbook. And it's just like, it's so odd to me that Best Buy is like, never mind, we're out. They like had their own SKUs being made for them for like these cool high-end limited editions. You know, if you've gone into Best Buy recently, they're nice again. I, I like I Best Buy. I actually need a new mouse. My mouse at home broke. So but I, that, I walked into Best Buy to pick up the mouse I bought on their website. Their their media area is like one small, sad new releases area for Blu-rays. Fingers crossed that they do like liquidation sales, but I know that'll never happen. Liquidation sales nowadays are like are garbage. Yeah, well, you just sell the stuff online. Well, because they say liquidation, and then they just don't lower the price. Counting on the sign, <laughs> counting on the sign to get people in. And we got we have about a month until Black Friday. We're now down to the wire where you need to be prepping, planning, preparing, having at least decided on what your upcoming campaigns for Black Friday are going to be. Oh, you should know what your big hitters are going to be right now. I think you should because you got to be priming people for the big hitters starting November first at the latest. So you should have your Black Friday plan. Like, okay, you don't need every single email written right now, but you definitely didn't need to know what you're going to be doing. I think that starts with, like, I've got, I think it starts with a calendar. What dates are we going to run promotions? And just because we say it's Black Friday, I still, I love the idea of the early sale. It's like November 10th, people who have made one-plus purchases in the past get an email hey, we're doing an early Black Friday preview, and it's just an excuse to run an early store-wide sale or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Clear out some old inventory. Yeah. <laughs> the, you know, you got some, like, you got some Blu-rays that are driving you crazy. They're you just, just like, why are these even the here? Shelf. Who buys these? Yeah. Ugh. <laughs> Everybody streams this. this is, what are these, coasters? <laughs> this is garbage out of here. And then, boom, 40% off. You know, I wouldn't even do 40. I think 35% gets you the same effect. I think 40% is a lot <laughs> for anything. Well, it's like, what's the percent threshold that gets you out of bed? Like, where do you start to pay attention? 5%? Who cares? 10? All right. Better than nothing. 15? I'm listening. I think I feel like for, t I think 10, is, if I'm like, ooh, I really want to buy that. Mm, I really want to buy that. And like, I'm like one millimeter above the mouse button. But I like, I just can't do that one last millimeter. And then I see that 10. I'm like, I'm in. Just the knowledge of you're getting a deal is enough for me. 
I think a lot of people just want like, did I save one dollar more than the average than the retail? Yeah, it, yeah. It, the threshold between zero percent savings and five percent savings is huge. I think. Now, is that enough to like push non-buyers into buyers? I doubt it. Yeah, if I already want to buy, if I already want to buy five percent, give me the excuse. Guarantees I buy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You're like, hey, we'll give you. F- oh, I want this fridge. It's a thousand bucks. Look, I'll give you five bucks off. You're like, yes, deal. That won't go that far. <laughs> so we need the threshold is still five percent. You're not gonna. I'm not gonna trick you. Yeah, it's just like, oh, I got you a dollar. Like that doesn't help. Discount bad. <laughs> uh, the you know every year analysts look at their crystal balls and say, oh, here's what we think sales are gonna be this year. And of course, I could go back and figure out what the predictions were versus actual and decide who was fairly accurate. I did not do any of that. Uh, the numbers we're seeing here predicted are like 5 to 15%. I, I feel like you could say that every year, though. Yeah, and they always go, well, it's dependent on category. We'd be like, well, between 5 to 15% just every year. Oh, okay. And you'll be right 90% of years. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's going to do like better or worse. You know, one of those two. But I think Adobe is the one I like. Uh, what did they have? Adobe said 4.8%. Deloitte went really wild with, uh, what did they have? 10 to 13% increase year over year. But again, I think this is so dependent on what your category is. Well, it, that's true. And it's also like you said, well, I'm not going to go back and see how they went last year. Yeah, they're ne- you're never going to. They could be, they, it could be negative 10 this year. And uh, Deloitte's not going to get hurt by that. Oh, they were off by 20%. No one knows. <laughs> I mean, you could easily figured out i'm just not gonna do it <laughs> that's i'm saying no one's gonna do it we were talking about plan your black friday plan your black friday promo i saw a tip from jesse healy who was on the show and i think she shared this in the episode she did yeah she said make a black friday if you haven't already uh put up an seo holding page for your black friday deals and buy that like a collection like whatever the landing page is going to be that you're going to send people to so either a collection or a page template just put up literally anything with Black Friday in the title for the sake of get Google to index it. So that later, if your customer Googles, you know, like you're their favorite brand, they're looking for the deal, you know, they can't find it, whatever, they're going to search, you know, brand name, you know, Paul's Blu-rays. Black Friday. Black Friday. And okay, now we know it's going to show up. Yeah, we got liquidated Best Buy Steelbooks. But if you waited to publish that page until like the day before the sale runs... There's no way Google's going to have that indexed and appearing. Well, and I like, I think she even said this during the episode too. She said, when you start rolling in November, fill that page with content and rotate the content in and out, depending on where you are in your Black Friday content scheme. So it's like that page is now the, and they, oh, yeah, yeah. And they go she to the did. page, they'll still have the new, like the new thing will be, and they send another email, but they liked the email from 10 days ago, they'll click through and then like that page will still have relevant content on it so i should do i could even do this with a url redirect i send everyone to you know paulsblurrays.com slash black friday and then in shopify i set up a redirect for slash black friday and then that goes to whatever i want the current deal is of the week let's say yeah, whatever de- you want to call it yeah does that no but does that i don't get a, that seo i was tip. about to say does that negate our seo strategy yeah i don't know about yeah it that does then. all your deals you can have all your deals just live on there throughout the course of the season, unless it's, you know, stuff that has FOMO timelines on it. Like, this is 48 hours only or whatever. Then that then that won't live on the page forever. Yeah. Got to get that FOMO going. Yeah, well, I need, again, it's, you need to give people reasons to buy. When was it? So back in 2019, is that when we, we discussed? No, we discussed, I looked this up. So uh, Ken Courtright, uh famous recurring character on this podcast, <laughs> uh, convicted fraudster Ken Courtright. We don't have to say alleged anymore because yes. he's convicted. He used to be alleged fraudster. Alleged Ken. Ponzi scheme. Now he's truly, he's a fraudster. He committed fraud. Uh, he was a guy that C- Kurt went to lunch with who was running a bunch of Shopify stores. And then Kurt was like, this is weird. My Spidey Spence was tingling. And it was like, this is not how things should work. Because he was like, yeah, we've got hundreds of Shopify stores. It's fine. They'll make money. And Kurt's like, do they? And he's like, yeah, sure, they all make money. He's like, how do you 
How do you manage hundreds of Shopify stores? How do you manage hundreds of Shopify stores? And he's like, we got 10 people in like a CSV. It's, we got it's, spreadsheets. It works. The answer was spreadsheets. <laughs> so we were like, you're weird. We don't want to talk to you. Uh, and then six months later, he got raided by the FBI for running a Ponzi scheme where he would take people's money, invest it in stores, but really just use that money to pay back the previous investors with guaranteed returns. And then he, you know, he embezzled a bunch off the top. And then to, he started just uh, toward the end, just paying his mortgage with it. He's paying his more. He was making like quadruple payments on his mortgage on his big house in Manuka and like paying for private school tuitions and boats and stuff. Uh, but anyway, he got convicted in federal court in July. So he's going to jail. Seven counts. Seven counts of uh, wire fraud. Uh, he's going to jail. He was supposed to get sentenced October 5th, but I have not found anything that he was sentenced to. Uh, but th- that stuff gets postponed all the time. So, But, yeah, I think given, given the number of counts and the amount of money involved, he's definitely doing federal time. Probably going to go to FCI uh, Waterloo, which is where – Ex-Illinois Governor George Ryan was hanging out for a while. We had two governors in a row go to federal prison. I was going to say, what, <laughs> where did Blagojevich go? I don't know. I don't know where Blagojevich was, but George Ryan was in, in Wisconsin, and that's probably where Ken's going, too. Uh, you know, it's not too bad. The But, uh, yeah, go back through our podcast to learn the journey of Ken Courtright, the dude who committed crimes. <laughs> Who we talked to once and decided he def- we thought he was committing crimes, and we were right. <laughs> I was like, this is odd, and I question we like, I question the legitimacy of it. I at no point in my head did I go, this is a hundred million dollar fraud, uh, which is what he was convicted of. Well, let we thought this is a shady dude who cannot be trusted. Agree? Yes, I I did not want to pursue a relationship. Then we talked to a dude that we kind of knew that worked there, and you said on a scale of one to ten, how much is this a, how much is of this is legit and how much is it a fraud? And he said, I think it's mostly legit. He did not say it is legit. He said, I think it's mostly legit. <sighs> yeah. So we thought, we thought some fraud. I talked to another guy who, I don't think he had to testify. I know he, he got interviewed by the FBI. Yeah. <laughs> That's just bad, scary stuff. But, it, you know, we could close the chapter on that. The, the trial happened and he was convicted. So we did, um, man, we've been busy. We built a custom theme for Montana Knife Company, who makes really sweet knives. Uh, We did, I'm proud of that one. Do they make Chef and Rambo? Those are the two grades of knife. (laughs) Uh, I'm going to, yes. The the purpose (laughs) of this conversation, yes. (laughs) They have extraordinary chef's knives, like real flashy stuff, and uh, hunting knives. Like, real deal hunting knives. I have a little one from them, and I admire it and don't use it because it's so nice. <laughs> uh, we got that up. I le- They have such great content that, that that site really shines. Well, no, I think the, the thing to talk about here is they do, like, limited edition knife drops. Like, yeah. they're dropping a new knife every week. That model and so, works. And it so still we had works. To, yeah, we had to set up countdown timers and, like, you know, countdown timers that they can edit and like set what the new time is for the next drop. And, you know, all this, it all auto populates across the store. And I think we had to do a later modification for them where they wanted like certain collections to have a different timer than like the main timer running across the, the site. But you could still, like, we could grab the date time meta field, store that stuff, and it pulls it from a meta field. Yeah. That's why I think that that's how it works on the collections. Yeah. So it's just a really fancy theme feature. Yeah. So, but yeah, they do limited edition knife drops. The, they have that model works, you know, because they have, um, they have an audience who's hungry for the product, and they have there's a, it's a high end handmade product, and so they use that drop model to great effect. I mean, it really, but even when they're not doing, you know, the big knife drops in between, you could once you're in that model and people are trained to it, you could even do regular accessories. And so they did just like, all right, here's an apparel release. And of course, you know, it goes crazy. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. They do like sheaths and stuff too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They have the fancy, the Kydex sheaths. We did that one, Triple uh, Sixty, which was a, a private equity, a, um, a billiards website called Cyberts. And like, if you're into pool cues and stuff, Cyberts is a great site. And they bought a manufacturer called, um, or their parent company did called uh, White Carbon, rebranded it to Triple Sixty, 
you know, 60 degrees being like the angles in the the rack, the pool rack. Yeah, it's been a while since I played pool, you could tell. Um, and then we built a, a custom theme for them on that. And then I that one I made a bunch of the content. So that was fun. I like that one. And then the, but the big one, the one they had we, a lot of the, a lot of meta field work on that one, of like various numbers and schematics. Well, it's very specs driven. It's very specs driven because, like you know, you're buying a high end. These the people that buy these are buying high end tools. You know that you know. This is not just a pool. This is a precision the, item. Yeah, it's a precision instrument that you're paying through the nose for because you're like that kind of guy. And so we gotta we gotta sell you on how precision this instrument is. I, those numbers were meaningless to me beyond like, well, that's the length of it. That's right. <laughs> it does appear to be about that long. Um, but I understood the value in it. So, you know, we, yeah, it's a lot of meta fields. They call me Mount Prospect Fats. Because you, you're from Mount Prospect? <laughs> the, what was the last time you played pool? Uh, prob- well, uh, about to stick it up your nose. Uh, <laughs> my grandfather was actually like a pool shark. And he always had pool tables in the basement of every single house he lived in. So I would play pool in my grandfather's basement a lot when I was a kid. So the answer is what, 20 years? Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Still sleeping on your Black Friday sale? Me, 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 me. Then consider this your wake-up call. Download Zipify Pages so you don't miss the biggest payday of the year. Zipify Pages is a landing page builder created by the founder of a $180 million Shopify store. It is everything you need to launch your next promotion more quickly and for a lot more profit. With their library of proven templates, you could build a high-performing holiday funnel in just a few clicks, from Black Friday to New Year's and everything in between. And because every template is tested on their nine-figure Shopify store, you know they actually work. Plus, you can use Zipify pages to optimize your product pages, blog pages, and even your homepage, so your store is ready to convert more of that holiday traffic. So if you want to have your most profitable and stress-free holiday season ever, then go to Zipify.com slash Kurt. That's Z-I-P-I-F-Y dot com slash K-U-R-T to start your 14-day free trial today. And to get an unadvertised gift, email help at Zipify.com and ask for the holiday bonus. The and then, but like the the big project, the one I'm I'm really proud of that you know, we all were the whole team worked on. We all had to pitch in to get it over the line. We migrated Navage, which I'll explain what Navage is in a moment, from Big Commerce to Shopify. It's power washer for your for your snots. Yeah. If all right. <laughs> the, yeah, you don't really need to go deep into it. I don't care who you are. You got boogers. Yeah. Everyone listening has boogers. How are you going to get those boogers out? Pick them. Foolishness. You just pressure wash those out yeah. with Navage, which is like, it was an as-seen-on-TV product. They still run commercials, but not Lord. like they did. And so they were previously on Big Commerce. Boo. I know. Where's my ew button? Ew. They were previously on Big Commerce. They moved to Shopify. And doing those migrations isn't terrible, but there are definitely some gotchas. And so if you can get the data out of whatever platform... You could generally get it into Shopify. And so, like, orders, products, customers, that stuff, pretty much everything is going to have some, like, export as spreadsheet. And then you can wrangle it, manipulate it, get it in uh, to the new system. And that part's not terrible. It's just time-consuming. And there'll be, like, a few small things you got to know to avoid. Where it gets tough is uh, some things don't export, so how do you recreate those? And so we had to come up with a clever solution to get all the page content out, mm. which to get titles, H1 tags, handles, etc., or URL, URLs, handles, et cetera, scraped it from the site uh, with uh, Python script, created those, and then you and I spent half a day just copying and pasting oh, right. the missing HTML content. Yeah, that was fun. So no matter what, there's, there's some manual level of effort that is – going to happen with some of these SEO migrations or some of these store migrations. Um, the big scary one is subscriptions. I I used to think that realistically migrating subscriptions was not practical. As of this migration, it is 100% doable. Yeah, subscriptions are a big part of their business, so they really needed Yeah, no one wants to give that up. Yeah, um, and so yeah, we found a way to do it. Yeah, we've, uh, we worked with loop subscriptions on this one. 
uh, and their team really helpful to make that happen. And I, you know, it depends what platform you're coming from, what service you're coming from, but absolutely migrating subscriptions across platform and you know keeping that payment tokenization. As long as you can get access to that, you're pretty good. And so we were able to we were able to do it working with them, maintain these subscriptions across the platform. And so I am now so confident and so thrilled in our how we've leveled up our skill set on doing yeah. store migrations. Well, and it, this is not our first migration from big commerce, right? No, certainly not. It's but it's the biggest and the hardest. It was yeah, biggest and toughest. So all we're saying is we're ready for more big commerce migrations. I you know, I'm I'm sure big commerce was fine, but when I log into it now, it's like, whoa, was th- this thing's been in maintenance mode for years. Mm-hmm. It just feels dated. And so, uh, you know, my new mission is if you're on big commerce and you're Shopify curious, let's go. Yeah. I would, Ab, we'll I would be e- thrilled. We'll make it easy for you. Yeah. The And then the other thing with that with any migration, the big question is like, well, what about my SEO? And cuz you always have that moment after like eventually it'll work itself out, but how long is that going to take? How much organic search traffic am I going to lose for what period of time? And in the uh the previous episode with you, we really hammered on SEO agency retainers. We worked with uh, a guy, Gert, and his agency, uh, SEO Leverage? What was it? SEO Leverage, yeah, is his agency. They're totally legit. They're really good. And they were so helpful and instrumental in, like, nailing this. And I think the the takeaway, the learning is, if you're concerned about SEO and the store migration, the goal is to minimize as many changes as possible. I don't like big changes. Humans generally don't. Well, it turns out Google doesn't either. So if you can minimize those changes, and like everybody knows, you set up URL redirects, fine. But in addition to that, you also want to maintain the content as close as possible. So migrate everything, even if it's a manual process like you and I had to go through. Um, But they went so far as we made sure the SEO title, meta descriptions, and the H1 tags across all the content matched so that when Google saw it, it did not... It went, yeah, oh, yeah, this this seems familiar. Yeah, I know what this same is. Thing. Oh, okay. Um, and then, like, combining that with the URL to redirects and then not losing any content, sweet. And then finally, uh, the site International. It was They had a U.S. and Canadian version. Using Shopify Markets Pro, we got that to work, including with a French-language version. I can't believe how good Shopify Markets Pro is. It made it so easy to set up internationalization. Really, I... I just assumed it would be hard. It seems like something that should be hard to do. Well, we're just that good. It's hard for normal people. It's true. Uh, All right. Uh, I see you have DMCA abuse. DMCA abuse. Shopify wading into the litigation waters. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled with that Shopify like is just tackling this head on. All right. So wait. We got to talk about what it is. What is the DMCA? The DMCA is the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, Kurt. Oh. Uh, it was passed by Congress, I believe, in I'm 1998. I'm a millennium. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a 90s-era law because, uh, you know, there was copyright infringement occurring on the Internet before in 1998. So this is like before MP3s. Uh, and so uh, the part of the law that we're worried about here is, you know, if you, Kurt, post a bunch of Mickey Mouse stuff on Shopify that you're selling Mickey Mouse products. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's being hosted on Shopify. The Even though Kurt posted it and Kurt's running the store, it's been posted on Shopify. Shopify is collecting the money. Shopify is getting a cut from it. Shopify is profiting off of it. So at the time, the question was, well, who do you sue? Do you sue the people that are kind of doing all the, techni- the technical back end for it, or do you sue the guy that did it? Uh, and the way that this law, the law works is the person on the hook is the person that did it, that uploaded it. And in this scenario, Shopify would not be sued if they comply with a takedown request to remove it. So it's That's not sh- where the problem comes it's in. It's not Shopify's fault because you told them something was bad. And so they, they took it down. So you can't go after Shopify for it. So what this means is generally the way it goes is you issue a takedown request. The host takes it down. Then the previous person appeal, the person who put it up appeals, and you know there's like this whole process or whatever. 
But and this or- is codified into law. This is codified in the law. But obviously, these big hosting providers, they don't want to get sued. They're just trying to cover their asses. So if you send them a request, they're just taking that stuff down. They're not even thinking about it most of the time. So apparently what was happening with Shopify is fraudulent DMCA requests, takedown requests were being sent to Shopify, and Shopify, acting like every other host pretty much, would immediately took the stuff down because they don't want to wade into like, well, technically that's not infringing because of X, Y, and Z. Like that's now we're entering into like a legal ruling and they're just like, no, we're taking it down. Leave us alone. Uh, and that was a problem because those were fraud. The it, yes, fraud, <laughs> uh, false positives. I mean, there are either services or law firms that were would say, well, we'll enforce your your rights over your intellectual property. You give us, you know, terms and like, let's say you're Nike and you say, hey, only these authorized sellers are allowed to like, here's the list of authorized sellers and everybody else is probably selling counterfeits. And so some like third party service contracted on down the line would scrape the internet, find all these potentially illegitimate listings, compare them against the list of, well, we know these people are fine. You know, it's like, oh, you know, Foot Locker, we're going to ignore them take them out of the list, and then everybody else, we're going to try and automate sending a DMCA request on Nike's behalf over this. And so you would get people who are like, no, 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 I'm perfectly legitimate to sell, but now the burden is on that seller, on, on me. On me, just some schlub and not some giant law firm or yeah. a multi-billion dollar company. To be like, hey, this isn't legitimate, the, or the, the request isn't legitimate, and I have every right to sell this. And, you know, who knows how that goes for you, and even if it does work out for you, it was certainly stressful. Yeah. Or, like, that is, that's one case, you know, a misunderstanding. Those for sure happened. The other problem is there are definitely people who figured out, who it occurred to them, oh, I can abuse this. And people who took it so far is just, like, full-on bad actor. I'm going to clone your store. Like, take your entire catalog of print-on-demand stuff start selling it myself, start running ads with your product, and then I'm going to send a DMCA takedown request for your catalog. And now I have eliminated the competition I ripped off. And it's up to, now that person has to defend this ridiculous request? Insane. Yeah. And with, you know, Shopify has millions of stores now. And so we have no way of knowing, but how often would this have been happening? And how much effort are they supposed to put in to trying to decipher what is and isn't legitimate. And so we had this happen to clients. We had this happen to listeners. We saw people post about it in our Facebook group. We knew this was occurring where like you would, someone legitimate would get a takedown request that was either one of these misunderstanding ones, um, in which case they they were usually able to work it out or one of the illegitimate ones, which like those are scary because the person on the other end is not. Well, I mean, and even if it worked out, how long were you down? You're down like a week, yes. maybe more. Yeah. So it's just like, well, you're done. You just don't have a store for two weeks. Well, and you have... Hope you get it back. Generally, the what we saw, the way they were set up is like, all right, we're gonna, your store's offline now. You have access to the back... The front end's offline. You have access to the back end, and you have until X date before the account's just closed, and you lose access to it. So better export your stuff while you can. Bad news, you know? Yeah. Someone reached out to me and said, hey... It, this just happened to me. It happened again. And they had tweeted about it. And so that time I went, I, I quote tweeted it. I said, this isn't isolated. This is, we've seen this before. This happened to other people. Um, and then within a week, two weeks of that, so we saw Shopify noticed and really took it very seriously. And they said, hey, the, the end of uh, DMC abuse is over. Like to, the original guy who had the complaint, Toby replied to him and said, hey, I'm, I'm going to look into this. Like, all right, I appreciate that. Let's see where this goes. Sure enough, not only did they they say, all right, we're not uh, we're not going to tolerate DMC abuse requests. Here's an email, like a direct contact, if you have one of these fraudulent claims made. And uh, I guess they identified one of these these bad actors who was using the DMCA loophole to abuse the system. Sued them, going after them to stop it. Good. Yeah, I am thrilled to see uh, to see Shopify do something about it and go after these DMCA abusers. 
Well, and now they need to do the ADA abusers. I, it would make my day. That would be the, the most fabulous Christmas present. Because that's how you stop the ADA abuse lawsuits, too, is that you need to make it too expensive for the crappy law firms that are doing this to do it. I mean, as soon as they have to defend every single one in court and expend lawyer hours to make it into a real case, they're not going to do it anymore. That's what the hotel, I read about this. This is what the hotels did. Like all the hotels, all the hotels were getting these abusive ADA, fake ADA lawsuits. They all banded together and they said, we're going to get a law firm and our law firm is just going to defend after all these and we're going to treat it like a real thing. And okay, you think you were, you were honestly injured by this. Great. Let's go to court and work it out. And then they stopped. They stopped going after the hotels because they don't want that. They want the quick settlement money. Yeah, they want you to go, uh, how about we just cut you a check yeah, and, how about we just, we, they, and move on? You don't actually want me to fix my site. You just want me to give you a check for five grand and go away. Yeah. And that's- It's extortion. What's funny is over time, the settlement amount, like if you just ask, you know, like off the record, people are, are happy to talk about this. The settlement, the average settlement amount that people have told me has gone down over the years. Yeah. So now it's like three, four grand and they'll just go away because they don't actually want the money or they don't actually, you know, it's not about like fighting for what's right. Yeah. They've just found, you know, similar to the DM, DMCA people. Well, here's a loophole we could abuse. Mm -hmm. Mark asks, what's something you see store owners stumble over all the time? He's looking for those common stumbling blocks. I think this is going to be us talking about our own personal pet peeves. Well, uh, let's see. There was another. <laughs> Brittany asked, what's your biggest pet peeve on e-commerce sites? Yeah, so this is both. Let's is combine. Be, this is going to be both. <laughs> Mark and Brittany's question here. Well, I say this all the time. Once you've crossed a certain threshold of competence on your store, we rapidly reach diminishing returns. Are like we're Like, oh, well, I don't like that. Here it says add to cart, and I really don't think the T and two should be capitalized. So, like, could we, like, fix – that needs to get fixed. And, you know, it's just like, mm, the border on this needs to be lighter. I think the border is CCC, and I really want it to be EEE. Like, you know, that level of so, stuff. Yeah, diminished returns where they're now obsessing – just straight up obsessing over details that – no one but them would notice. No, but yeah, but they have the absolute blinders on and they're just like, well, this is the most, they, I'm just going to stare at it all day long and just let every little pixel, you know, just poke me. And what's funny is like the content, the message is the thing that matters. Oh yeah. Content. They don't care about content. They're running 50 different apps. You know, they haven't, they haven't sent an email in four months, but like mm, those pixels, like that drives me up the wall. I talked to a merchant uh, this morning who was looking for just like brainstorming ideas like, hey, you know, what's some stuff we could try? And you know, I brought up like, well, here's a, here's a newsletter campaign you could do. And their response was, oh, I just sent a newsletter last week for the first time. I can't believe how successful that was. I didn't know they weren't sending newsletters. That would have been my first suggestion. <laughs> the I think for my pet peeves are like where people stumble with their sites. Setting up a main menu, like if your catalog has, oh, you know. I was waiting for you to say main navigation. Yeah. If you've got more than a few dozen items, you will quickly make yourself insane trying to figure out how to properly organize that. I've been doing this a decade, and I think I'm only now comfortable at figuring it out. Well, and that goes to one of my other ones, which is, you know, stores nowadays, it's really common for us to have clients where the 90% of the traffic is mobile. Yeah. It's 90, 90%, and not mobile tablet, I'm talking phone, 90% phone. And if you're, I think even 75% phone is probably the floor. Yeah. Yeah, 70-30 would be the like that floor. is the absolute, there's a, something strange has happened, but that's, that it's that only is the 75% yeah. phone. D damn it, every single time. The store owner is sending me like screenshots of like full 1920 wide browser window on their huge de like 30 inch desktop monitor. I have full screened the website. I have on a full screened the website, monitor. 1920 pixels wide on my desktop monitor, and they're like, it looks a little strange here. No one's ever seen it like that. No one has ever seen it like that. They never will see it like that. Everyone else scrolled through it half heartedly on their phone, on their couch, while also watching TV. Oh, they never look at it at their phones. Store owner, here, here we go. This is it. Everything I said. Negate it. This is it. Here's my answer right now. 
Store owners never look at their stores on phones. Never, ever, ever. Because they're at work and when they're work, screwing around with their store. And when you're at work, you're on your work computer, which is a desktop. That's never how any of your users are using it. They're looking at it on their phones. I can't tell you the number of times I have worked on themes, worked on designs for store owners, and I get endless rounds of pain-in-the-ass feedback about the desktop layout. They never shut up about it. And, and then we don't get anything. And then I do the, the phone layout, never talked about. Never no, ask, never say anything, don't even notice. The phone, oh, by the way, uh, it's been six months, and uh, I looked at it on the phone, and I noticed that I installed all these apps, and there's actually three widgets on the bottom of the phone screen that's covering up the Add to Cart button, uh, so that probably should get fixed. Oh, that would the, that, that anecdote's based on a real story. All the time, they just keep adding these like stupid little widget apps and little chat widgets and all this other stuff. It covers up all the it covers up all the content on the phone screens, and they're like, "Oh, it looks good to me." I had someone say, "Hey, my conversion rate dropped precipitously. What do I do?" And I went and I I was like, "All right, let me help." You know, and I'm getting ready to do my thing, and I'd load the site on my phone, and I said, "Hey, I think I found the issue." It had and there were a bunch of sticky widgets, and they had a drawer cart. The sticky widgets all covered up the proceed to checkout button. You could not click checkout on a phone because of the number of widgets. And they were 100% unaware because they'd never looked at it on a phone. They'd never do it because <laughs> they're at work. And when you're at work, you're sitting at your desk looking at the computer. So they just sit there and look at it on their full screen desktop monitor. And they're like, oh, that's right. That's it's my website. Easy to say. It's easy to go, yeah, I'm going to take mobile seriously. I'm going to pay attention to it. You, because of what you're explaining is like, I, you know, you're working, so you're on a laptop, you're on a desktop. You have to make a conscious effort to check stuff on mobile. You, like, make it your New Year's resolution. I'm going to use my own site on my phone. Don't even look at your site on desktop. Who cares? Mobile's where the action's at. Yeah. People made fun of Ron DeSantis for this. Ron DeSantis put up some fundraiser page. Uh, he was trying to quickie cash in on something. And the fundraiser page was literally a single column that was 400 pixels wide. Just formatted for phones. Which is, it's just formatted for phones. And everyone's like, what the hell is this? And I'm like, all right, obviously. But a political campaign, they would have sent an email. Well, where do you check your email? Yeah. On your phone. Like, people were making fun of it. And, it, you know, I understand. Like, making it look at the same, making it look nice on desktop and mobile is not that big a lift. It's fine on desktop. And it certainly was made for mobile. Like, you could do worse things. Have no issues with a narrow single column if it's text on desktop. I don't know why people are like, white space is bad. <laughs> it just needs to be a giant collage of insanity. No, it doesn't. Just scroll. It's okay. Ready to double your revenue from Clavio Abandoned Flows without lifting a finger? Of course you are. And it's not magic. It's all about conversion tracking done right. It's a secret weapon for growth that many are yet to discover. Picture this. A user visits your site signs up for a discount, adds items to the cart, and then they leave without buying. You're banking on your abandoned cart email bringing them back, right? But what if they're on iOS or Safari and their Klaviyo cookie expired? Your email may never reach them, and that's a missed opportunity. But that's where Elevar comes in. Elevar ensures these user sessions are stitched together so Klaviyo flows operate just as you'd expect, all thanks to Elevar's session enrichment and server-side tracking. The result? a 200% increase in emails sent to customers who would have otherwise slipped through the cracks, and an almost 100% increase in revenue. Don't let your potential customers become ghosts. With Elevar, start seeing these improvements from week one. It's time to take your conversion tracking to the next level. Start your free trial at getelevar.com today. Their plans start at $0 a month, and all plans include a 15-day free trial. Go to getelevar.com to get started. E-L-E-V-A-R, Elevar. Guy wants to know. I think it's Guy. I guy. think it's Guy. I think it's Guy Lafleur, famous hockey player Guy Lafleur listens to the show. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, mm -hmm. Starting a new side store from scratch and wondering what folks are building off of currently. I know Kurt, you used to be heavy on flex. Is that still the case? Thanks. Uh, another pet peeve I have. What theme should I use? Who cares? <laughs> Just buy one from the Shopify store. That's it. They're all vetted. They're all checked. I don't understand this whole thing where they're like, great for fashion. It's like, oh, damn, if I put my knives on this store, I'm going to lose money. Doesn't matter. None of it matters. Just get a theme that is vetted by Shopify, works fine, you're done. You don't, doesn't matter. Yeah, I think if you're asking me what theme should you use, I will give you the exclusion. Anything that is not from a developer in the Shopify theme store, you're, you're, you're rolling the die, you're playing with fire. Those like theme force themes... 
it got to the point where we said we just we refuse. We will not work on those anymore. Versus if it is in the Shopify theme store, it went through such a extreme audit and ongoing that you can have faith it is going to be up to date and have all the features and do what you want. I think, you know, and, and worrying about like, well, what theme is right for what? On it, when you're looking at these themes, like so many of them, for at least their demo, they just rely on a bunch of fancy splash photos. Yep. Like, can I get fancy stock photos? Can I get a friendly merchant to let me use their great product photos in my store? And so, like, really, you're just comparing stock photos. Take it back to the pet peeve thing. Well, I want my store to look like this. Look how great this store looks. Okay, cool. They hired a professional photographer. And that's that what did it. For yeah. thousands of dollars to take all these photos. And they're like, well, how come my store doesn't look like that? It's like, well, because you gave us shitty photos. Like, you, all the photos you gave me were 700 by 700 pixels wide. So, and you apparently don't have anything bigger than that, I uh, guess. So, uh, that's what you get. Because you gave me crap photos, so your site looks like crap. Yeah, well, garbage in, garbage out is what's going on there. You know, yeah, the theme really... Obsessing about the theme would be like obsessing about a photo frame. The photo is the important part. Yeah. The frame, I don't know, does it work? Does it hold it? Yes. Yeah. That's that's fine. Does it do what you want? You know, go on a desk or on a wall? I don't know. Uh, John wants to know, homepage changes to keep visitors engaged. Uh, he's got a business in their first year. Should he be changing the look of the homepage every so often to keep returning visitors engaged? I would say no, unless you have a reason to. So it's like, do you have a new product line? Are you having a big sale? Is there something going on that people need to know about? Then, all right, cool. Change that splash image. Change the featured collection on the homepage. Change the product on the homepage. Do something. That's fine. But just being like, we need to have a new photo, and we need to completely change the layout of the homepage every three months. For the uh, sake of it. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think, so. think you need to do that. Let it be driven by necessity. You, know, you have a new product. You have a promotion. You know, whatever event or catalog change is occurring, that gets represented on the site. Yeah. On the homepage. Otherwise, I would not feel the need to be going through here. Yeah. Now, you know, I've heard people say Google likes fresh content, but you know, to what degree and is changing a hero image, changing a paragraph on a homepage going to make that difference for Google? Probably not. So in this case, I wouldn't sweat it. Like you're going to know when you need to change your homepage based on what's going on. All right. I like this. This is a speed round. Uh, Michael, he would like to hear about current and solution, future solutions against fraudulent orders and chargebacks. I'm selling a high-ticket, low-margin product mainly, and it only takes one or two chargebacks to really hurt my business. So he is also in Australia. I don't know how that's different. Kangaroo dollars? No. What's, well, <laughs> what's different is not all payment providers are available in all countries. Payment wow. methods can change in other countries. Like a in the U.S., we're like, bank transfers, what do I look like, Rockefeller? Whereas in other countries, <laughs> a bank transfer is not weird. Yeah. And, you know, oftentimes, you know, we'll recommend a service or feature, you know, that's only available in the U.S. And that's frustrating for international listeners. But it's also, I mean, it's just impossible for me to keep in my head what is and isn't available outside our borders. I mean, if, he, if he's Australia, and if he's not doing, if he's not like an Australian-specific business, he's doing a ton of shipping. Brutal international shipping. Yeah. I mean, obviously, there's the Shopify fraudulent orders, right? Yeah. There, Shopify has – there's a fraud – like, fraud risk analysis that's just in the order. Um, there's Shopify – they have a whole suite of fraud features, but not all of them are going to be available outside the U.S. is the problem. Our big stores that process a ton of volume and, you know, have experience, they've been around the block m – I don't know that any of them actually use like a dedicated fraud filter solution. They use automations to flag the scary stuff. And so they'll use Shopify Flow and Shopify's just built-in order risk analysis where it's like, all right, if order risk analysis high, automatically you like hold this order, flag it for someone to review or hold this, cancel it, restock it. And they'll do, you know, like if risk... Um, if risk analysis is, you know, medium, flag it for some to review. If risk analysis is low, but the order is over $500, flag it for review. Or order is $500, no matter what, flag it for review. That's, we see a lot of that where it's like, okay, as soon as it's risky, 
try and verify it. Can you call the person and get a hold of them or does the number not work? Um, it, are you able to verify anything about this order in this person? That, that can help just reducing a lot of this by just flagging those and checking them. But in his case, it, if you're the manufacturer and it's a less expensive item, not so bad. But let's say you drop ship bikes, an expensive item that cost you a lot of money and you don't get a ton of profit. And now due to fraud, you're out the money and the product. I mean, that like, all right, now potentially you're out thousands because of one fraudulent order. I mean, and that's what he says here. He says, you know, one or two chargebacks to really harm the business. I mean, I don't know what you do about chargebacks. Yeah, well, and chargeback fraud is a problem. I mean, there's also, there's, when I think of, when I, I think of this fraud, I always assume a bad actor in the form of like, I bought credit card numbers from the dark web. I <laughs> stole, I'm using a stolen credit card number to buy my my good. That's what I'm thinking of. And so like those are easier to identify because if I call and the number is not for the same person, you know, if I could figure out that like none of this matches up, I'm going to cancel it. Versus if I'm just being, if Kurt Elster is placing an order with Kurt Elster's credit card and sending it to Kurt Elster's house and then it gets there and then I go, oh, I didn't get it. Now you have to prove that I did. And I've heard that story so many times for merchants. You know, one person told me, and I love this. They're like, oh, we go through their social media. <laughs> we go through their social media and see if they're like, because half the time they're so proud they posted photos with the item. They're like, he's like, if you could get that and include that with your chargeback um, denial or whatever. Yeah, like you, when the chargeback happens, they go, all right, this is the person's made this claim. Now provide us evidence to the contrary. And most of the time they're going to side with the person making the chargeback. If you, can give them really strong evidence, <laughs> especially if it's like, here's a photo of them with the item on the, you know, two days after we shipped it. Well, yeah. They like, post, all right, boom, you're good. They posted but, that on Instagram, hashtag love to steal. <laughs> Does that help? Yeah. And then they sold an ebook about uh, chargeback fraud. I think the answer is use automation to identify the risky orders, deter look for patterns, and determine the level of risk that's acceptable to you. Oh, all right. Tag asks uh, about my office hours. Are you enjoying doing your office hours again? Has there been a common theme in the aspects you've been improving across the different sites slash industries? So Kurt has a thing called Kurt. I call Kurt's friend chat. Kurt's friend chat. Where my, I call it office hours. A random person call can call Kurt and talk to him on the phone for like a half hour. Yes. Just to chat about whatever they want to chat about. And I charge one dollar. And you charge one dollar to make them do it. Because yeah, too many people yeah. were ghosting you. Too many people. When I did it for free, people would book it, and then they just reschedule endlessly, or just not show up at all, which got frustrating. So I'm like, all right, the moment they have to type in a credit card number, they lose interest if they're not serious. So I charge a dollar for it. I was talking to my friend Ken about something we no! could do with those credit card numbers. <sighs> That's not the kind of wire fraud. <laughs> um, common. You know, I think everybody wants to know, like, what's what's the sentiment, what's the what's the trend, how are people doing year over year? And it, my answer is always the same. You know, it depends on category, it depends on timeline. Like, where are you in that journey? They want to know where they are in the race. Yeah, they're like, hey, so how's everyone doing? And it's like, oh, we're doing bad. And then in their head, they're like, but I'm doing good. Like, I'm better than everyone. <laughs> yeah. Run your own race, man. <laughs> I learned that for Bluey. Run your own race. It depends on the industry and the category. You compare, like, 2020 through 2022, shooting fish in a barrel. And the government's handing out money. Yeah. And interest rates are, like, negative. You know, it, it was just ridiculous. And so, certainly, the consumer sentiment is not what it was. And so, it's, just, it's harder to make a sale now than it was before. I said, uh, I think year over year, you know, the people who are positive are happy about it. But if you're off, Gen generally they are. <laughs> yeah, you know, if you're off from that, I wouldn't, I wouldn't freak out. I mean, if it's things have normal. gotten harder for you in the last year, you're in good company. You're probably average. Like you're yes. just you're in with everyone else. So, like that's uh, that's one common theme. Uh, the increase in return fraud or chargeback fraud has come up several times where it's just, you know, 
customers who are bad actors and are like, you know, Amazon trained them that no one is checking on these returns. Yeah, Amazon's like, yeah, whatever, it's fine. You know, like Amazon, I just like stick a, a brick in a box and mail it back to them, and they're like, all right, return granted, done. Uh, and so people like expecting that same treatment from small businesses on Shopify, and that's frustrating. Or they're like, oh, I got an empty box. Like, please. That's a common one. And I think outside of that, you know, everything was really about like bespoke features. Like I talked to a guy who was selling vintage Star Wars toys, which is really cool. Um, you know, I love that stuff. And he was talking about like, all right, well, how could I, you know, I've got current, how can I make point of sale, work with a different currency? How can I make a, um, a make an offer button? I thought that was kind of cool. Make Do a make an offer button on a Shopify store. I mean, just have it. I mean, the jankiest way to do that, I think, is just pop up an email form. It's like make do the back in stock form. That was what my suggestion. But I was just, like, it's really just a form. It's just a, yeah, just have it pop up an email specifically for that product and be like, fifty bucks, and okay. you know that's it. And yeah. then they could you could reply back to that email and send them a draft order. Yeah. <laughs> draft order invoice is perfect for that. Um, or like people just are like, hey, just give me some like throw some some outside outside the box ideas on marketing at me, you know, just trying to figure out like, is there anything we should be trying that we're not doing that kind of thing. And, but yeah, the problem with that is you would never say do a newsletter. <laughs> so they would never, if they weren't doing a newsletter, they would never hear that then. Yeah. Well, you know, you don't want to talk down to people. Like you don't want to mansplain. A lot of the time people that are asking for outside of the box ideas, never tried the inside of the box ideas. <laughs> True, true. <laughs> yeah, all right. If you're not sending a weekly newsletter uh, and you're looking for ideas, there's your low-hanging fruit. <laughs> you figure that out. You know, it keeps you top of mind. You'd be surprised at how effective that is. You know, to your point about, like, hey, you need the better photos, I think leveling up your content more so than the theme or apps or features or campaigns is the thing that people just tend to overlook. Like, hire a copywriter. Get I mean, really banging product. You know, and th- that's you know, it goes back. I, I love watching all those like um, those old Gordon Ramsay, co- all the fix it shows where someone shows up in your business and fixes it. I love those shows. The Prophet, Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares, all of them. What's the one with the bar rescue? Bar rescue. Bar rescue, where you just show and, up at and John it, Tapper. Yeah, show up, start yelling at you. And it's always the ones where it's like, did you ever notice why like all the fries? Like, why is every beef now like Wagyu beef? Even though it's not Wagyu beef, they're lying to you. And it's like all the fries come in like cones now. Why do fries come in cones? And like every – we don't say olive oil. We say EVOO on like the menu. Is that what it is? Yeah, that's extra virgin olive oil, you dumb-dumb. I had no idea. So – and all that is is so that instead of charging you 6 bucks for the burger, they could charge you 18 bucks for the burger because they just made it sound a lot nicer. It's the presentation. It's the presentation. And so that's – what your store needs to do. Your store, ne- your store is not just like buy this. It's really more pay this price for this. Do you want them to go, wow, this is only 70 bucks? I'm getting a deal. And so like you do that with ultra high-end high-quality photos, ultra high-end content that sells the product, going over the pool cue specs about all the cool materials the pool cue is made of. So that they telling a story, to, so they can justify in their head why they're paying twice as much the, as they should for this thing, and then go, "Wow, this is worth it." That's the whole thing. That's the whole freaking ball game. You're right. But You're they, right. But they, but they don't care about that. Value is subjective. <laughs> but the, the the pixels are too dark. <laughs> oh yeah, my border <laughs> colors are wrong. Like, sorry, that's not changed your conversion rate. It just isn't. <laughs> Pumping up this product description, yeah. that might have an impact. Getting baller-ass photos in a light cube and then other photos of people, like, screaming in joy using the product. Yeah, nah, who cares about that? Yeah, people are, like, yeah, the reaction shots. They're always <laughs> losing their minds. Are these people all right? It's, yeah, every photo in your store should look like a YouTube thumbnail. Yeah, it's like... <laughs> and when I suggest that, the answer is always, nobody reads. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll end it there. All right. Thank you for listening. Join our Facebook group. Leave a review. You know, whatever, whatever it takes, whatever you need. And talk, tell, tell everyone how good we are. Yeah. Hey. On the street. Just stand on the street's corner screaming about how good we are. And if you've got a friend who's like needs to be done with their big commerce store, 
EtherCycle.com. Refer to us. I would love it. Thank you so much. The unofficial Shopify podcast is brought to you by Loop. Loop is a returns management platform that makes returns profitable and stress-free for you and your shoppers. Loop offers automated returns, exchanges, and store credit options to lower costs and increase revenue. Do you want to offer at-home pickup or boxless drop-offs? Need to lower return costs or increase repeat purchases? How about all of the above? That's what's possible with Loop. Loop delivers customized returns management solutions for Shopify merchants of all sizes, like Studs, Princess Polly, Code Epoxy, to turn returns into returning customers. Find out why thousands of Shopify merchants choose Loop to manage their returns at loopreturns.com. That's loopreturns.com.